Well, let's begin in prayer this morning. God, you are a gracious and loving Father. We're thankful to be here in your presence this morning. I pray that you would speak through these ancient words and that you would bring to us this morning a word straight from you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Noble, our oldest, is at Harding Academy now in kindergarten in Miss Page's kindergarten class. And he's doing really well there. And last week, he was on his best behavior. So at the end of the week, he got to, to go to the treasure box and pick out a treasure before he went home. And he picks this little plastic sea turtle, little plastic sea turtle. And then on the drive home, he proceeds to ask me approximately 700 questions about sea turtles. Turns out I don't know a lot about sea turtles. I know they live in the sea. And um, I remember vividly seeing this picture as a kid of a sea turtle that was trapped in one of those six pack plastic rings. And so ever since then, I've always cut those rings before throwing them away. Some of you do the same thing, but that's about all I know. And so he asked me, he said, Dad, what do you call their, their things, their flippers, their, their fins? What do you call those things? He knew it wasn't feet, but I didn't know what to call. He said, Dad, do sea turtles have to come up to the air to breathe or can they breathe underwater like fish? And this is kind of embarrassing, but I didn't know. I didn't know that. And so I said, I could tell he was frustrated with me. I mean, I was a real disappointment to him. <laughs> and, and so I said, well, well well, why don't you just ask Miss Page tomorrow? <laughs> and he sighed and he said, yeah, Miss Page knows way more than you. <laughs> I said, about turtles? He said, about everything. <laughs> uh, for the record, they're called flippers <clears throat> and they do have to come up to breathe. I, I asked Google, not Miss Page. Uh, I love that my kids think grown-ups know everything. You know, they equate maturity with knowledge, maturity and knowledge. And you probably did the same thing growing up. You thought grown-ups, those who were mature, knew everything until that moment you turned 14. And then grown-ups knew nothing because along with acne, you had also achieved enlightenment. You know what I'm talking about? You know? Well, turns out our 14-year-olds are gone this morning. So most of them are off at Winterfest this morning with our youth group, growing closer to God. I'm so thankful they're there. But this past week, I spent a good chunk of the week preparing a sermon for them out of Ephesians 4, which, as you know, if we're going chronologically, is where we would be this morning, a sermon about living a worthy life. And a big chunk of that sermon has our young people in mind. And then I realized they're going to be gone this weekend. So we're going to save that sermon for next week. We're not going to waste a sermon. We'll come back to that. And this morning, we're going to jump to Ephesians 6, which may be by the grace of God, because we're going to talk about something this morning that 14-year-olds don't believe. But something that I need those of you who are mature to believe. I need you to know this for your own sake, for the sake of our 14-year-olds and ultimately for the sake of this church, okay? Now, the truth is, I don't know a lot. There's a couple here at Highland who came up to me the other day and he said, my wife and I were talking about you, Eric, and we decided that Eric is not old enough to be wise. I was like, is that the end of the sentence? Um, said, Eric's not old enough to be wise, but he maybe can figure some stuff out, okay? For the record, they're right. 
I'm not old enough to be wise, but they're wrong. There's not much I can figure out. Yesterday, we had a long week, some sickness in the house, some dog issues, a roof that's leaking. It was kind of a disastrous week. And yesterday afternoon, I decided I was going to take the two oldest kids on a bike ride and let Lindsay and the baby rest. And I thought I was just going to be an awesome dad. And Lindsay looked at me and she said, they seem a little tired, a little fussy. I probably wouldn't do that. And I thought, no, I'm going to do it. 20 seconds in, Foster crashes, and he currently has no skin on this arm, right? So not only am I not wise, but I don't listen. (laughs) Fortunately, Ephesians lays out the wisdom of God really simply, okay? Simple enough even for somebody like me. And so that's what we're going to look at today. This is what Ephesians needs those of us who are mature to know. So look at Ephesians chapter 1. You remember this. It'll be on the screen behind me. We're going to make our way to Ephesians 6. But in Ephesians chapter 1, what we read is that the will or the mystery of God had long been unknown. It had been kept hidden for ages past. But he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment. So this is the mystery. This is what God is doing. This is it. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. We've talked about this the last few weeks. What God is doing in the world is uniting everything under his son. In chapter three, this mystery is called the manifold wisdom of God, the wisdom of God. And we're called to make that wisdom known to the whole world in Ephesians chapter 3. And then in Ephesians 6, the mystery, the wisdom is now called the gospel of God or the gospel of peace, unity. Okay. So here's the thing. We, the church, are the ones who know this. We're the ones, not not even the angels were told know this. We, the church are the ones who have this knowledge about the wisdom, the mystery, the gospel of God. Okay, and it is our knowledge in the context of our unity and our faith that sets us apart from the world around us. And as Paul looks for a word to describe a congregation, a body that has this knowledge and is united in faith by it, The word that he comes up with is mature, mature. That's the word in Ephesians chapter four. Now, full disclosure, mature is not exactly the word that he uses. Mature translates a tricky Greek phrase, but we think it's a really good translation because on one hand, he offers us the mature, and then in the next sentence, he offers us the other hand. He compares those who are mature to those who are not, and he calls those who are not infants. So we get the mature and you have infants. And then he says this about the infants. He says, they are tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Okay, so maturity is not only knowing about God, knowing what God is up to. Maturity is also knowing about the world and knowing what we are up against in the world. So on one hand, you've got this knowledge about God's wisdom, and on the other hand, you have this knowledge about those who are working against God's wisdom and plan and gospel. And so someone who is mature sees both of those things 
for what they really are. So that's where we land in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. He's going to explain this in the most detail that we have in the New Testament, what those enemies are. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. This is what he needs, those of us who are mature, to know. He says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. There's that phrase. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Uh, here's what I want you to do for a second. Think about this passage we just read and then compare in your mind the difference between what Paul is labeling maturity in Ephesians and what our world labels maturity. Uh, to help us think through that, you know, I'm reminded of when I was a kid and I had a huge imagination. You know, we would we would play cops and robbers, and we would pretend dragons and trolls were chasing us. And maybe you pretended some of those same things. You had a big imagination. You pretend you were a princess at the top of a tower. Or if you've ever watched a movie with young kids, you know that throughout the movie, they ask you over and over again, is that real? Is, that, is Darth Vader real? You know, is the ghost on Scooby-Doo, is that ghost real? Uh, Foster had this imaginary, our four-year-old had this imaginary friend named Jeek, Jeek. And he talked about Jeek so often that we were pretty sure Jeek was real. In fact, we asked his teacher at school, because he always played with Jeek at school, we asked his teacher, is there a student in this class named, named Jeek? She's like, no, there's not. The other day at dinner, Foster looks up from a bowl of spaghetti out of the blue. He sighs and he says, Jeek isn't real. It was such a sad moment, right? And yet it made sense. You know, it's a coming of age moment. He's maturing in his own way. And those who are mature don't believe in those invisible things. To me, mature is to disbelieve in that kind of stuff. To be mature is to know better than that. Only Paul says the opposite. You know, Ephesians is working in the opposite direction. In Ephesians, those who are most mature are the ones who know, who know. There is an invisible world. And in that invisible world, there are powers that reach into the world which we inhabit. And they are trying to work against God's plan and purposes, his wisdom and mystery for their own purposes. Those who are mature are the ones who, knows, who know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world. That's who is mature. <clears throat> Do you realize how immature 
that sounds to the rest of the world? Do you know how immature that sounds to the 14 year olds at church? That there's boogeymen out there trying to get you? I mentioned uh, Scooby-Doo a second ago. How many of you have seen Scooby-Doo? Yeah, most hands in here. How many of you have read the New Testament? Yeah, less hands, yeah. You know, every episode of Scooby-Doo basically works the exact same way. They all have the same plot, right? There's somebody, a goblin, a ghost, a monster who is ruining things for people in the town. And everybody in the town, all the townspeople are really upset and scared because they realize the world, their precious little town, the world they live in is haunted. And they don't want to live in that kind of a world. Until who shows up? Scooby-Doo, his pals in the mystery machine, and they hop out And they catch the monster or the troll or the goblin or the ghost. And what do they do every time? They pull off the mask. And it turns out to just be Bob the banker. (laughs) Or it's Sally the librarian. You know, every episode of Scooby-Doo works that way. It's like every episode of Scooby-Doo is a a little coming-of-age story where we move from immaturity to maturity. We start in this really terrified belief and we end in confident disbelief. You know, the mask of the world around us is taken off and it turns out there is nothing to be afraid of in this world. And Ephesians also wants us to know the truth. Like Ephesians wants us to be more mature as individuals and as a church. Only the revealed mystery of Ephesians is working in the opposite direction of Scooby-Doo. And as a result, this is one of the reasons that the gospel sounds like foolishness to the world around us. In Ephesians, for example, you, you have like really human looking institutions and gatherings like a, like a church or a marriage or a parent and child relationship. And those things look very human. But what happens in Ephesians is that the mask is pulled off of those really human things and they turn out to be spiritual and transcendent, eternal things like our marriages. He pulls off the mask and we realize that God brought you and your wife together and he is forming a spiritual bond between you. It's not just two people who like each other and think they're cute, right? Or about the church. He says, you look at this church and it's made up of all these different kinds of people who aren't united by anything else and wouldn't hang out normally, but they are brought together by the church. And you realize when you pull the mask off the church, that is this spiritual union, the here at the church, God is taking two and he's making them into to one thing. And it also works on the other side that in chapter four, he talks about the infants who are tossed back and forth by the schemes of people, the deceitful schemes of people. And by the time you get to chapter six, he finally takes off the mask and you realize the schemes of people around you against you and against God are not really the schemes of people. They are what? The devil's schemes. In chapter six, he pulls off the mask. You know, Paul's making this point in Ephesians that the world you and I live in is not a good world. It's not a neutral world. He says the days, the days in chapter five, the days are evil. That we live in an evil world. And that as you pull off the mask, you're not gonna find goodness and love and joy. You're gonna find evil out there. Ephesians is opposite of Scooby-Doo. 
So which one's right? We're at church, y'all. Ephesians, Ephesians is right. <laughs> you got to hear from Marty Kuntz a second ago, a longtime missionary. Marty, isn't he great? Isn't he? He's awesome. I've gotten to spend a lot of time with Marty over the past few weeks as they've relocated here to Memphis. It's been such a grace to me. And the other day, Marty told me a story. He's full of stories like the one he told at communion. You should spend some time with him. And he told me a story about a missionary couple that predated he and Luis. And they were also in Africa. They were in Kenya, but they were there in the 60s. Matt and Laura Huggins. Okay. <clears throat> and Matt and Laura Huggins had this story that Marty learned as they were beginning their, their mission work. And it, it motivated them to get people praying for them all the time while they were in mission work. The story goes like this. They were in Kenya during the Mau Mau uprising. And a little background on that, it was a time when the Mau Mau tribe was killing Kenyans and missionaries alike. It was a bad time to be in Kenya. And Matt and Laura are traveling in their Land Rover deep into the bush, and they're making their way back towards Nairobi late one night when their Land Rover breaks down, about 17 miles outside of Nairobi. And um, he tries, Matt tries, he gets out and tries to fix the car, and he can't fix it. So they know they're in dangerous territory, so they climb into the vehicle and they pray. They claim Psalm 4-8 as theirs, and they pray together, I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Sure enough, the next night, they, or the next morning, they get up, they're fine. They fix the car, or they drive into Nairobi. A few days later, a local pastor comes to Matt, and he says, I need to tell you something. He says, the other night when your car was broken down in the bush, men surrounded you. <clears throat> he said, one of those Mau Mau tribesmen came to me and he said, me and three others who came towards that Land Rover intending to kill those missionaries. And he said, and we saw surrounding their vehicle, 16 men around the vehicle. When we saw that, we fled, fled away. And Matt, talking to this pastor, said, 16 men, I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. They left and they came home on furlough a few weeks later and he was spending time with one of his good friends at the supporting congregation, Cody Bryant. And Bryant asked them, was there ever a moment y'all were in trouble in Kenya? And Matt asked why and he says, well, on March 23rd, I had this burden to pray for y'all. And so I called 15 other men from the church and we came together and we began to pray for you until that burden was lifted. Was there ever a moment you were in trouble there? <clears throat> and I tell you that story because in the ancient world, and the Paul's reflecting the ancient worldview, in the ancient world, they believed as battles took place between nations on this earth, that at the same time there were battles taking place in the heavenlies above, and that the army that was winning on the ground was a reflection of which God was winning in the heavens. And Paul's reflecting that here. You know, C.S. Lewis said that when we think about the demons or the devil out there, that we fall into two traps. The first is that we disbelieve in them altogether. We're like the 14-year-old who thinks that's silly, who's watched a lot of Scooby-Doo and decides you can't believe in that stuff. But the other and maybe more dangerous temptation, Lewis says, is that we think too much about devils and demons. And I thought about telling y'all a spooky ghost story this morning. And what I realized and what Paul realizes here in Ephesians 6 is he just glances by this reality that he wants those of us who are mature to know this reality about the real forces that are out there trying to hurt us and God's mission and work here, okay? 
What he realizes is that you need to know those things, not so that you're scared of them, but so that you will be driven to know what you most need, which is Jesus Christ. You know, you need the power that is available in Christ because your struggle is not against flesh and blood. He says this in Ephesians chapter one, Paul does. He says that incomparably great power is available to us who believe. And that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You know, when Paul says we need to buckle truth around our waist, this is the truth he's talking about. When he says we need the breastplate of righteousness, it's the righteousness of Christ that he's talking about. When he says we need to lift up this shield of faith, it is faith in this reality that he is talking about, the kind of faith that shields you from things you don't even know are out in the darkness ready to attack you. You know, when Paul talks about infants and the mature, he is not talking about your, your human age, how old you are. Right? These are spiritual realities. And you can be an infant in Christ whether you're 14 or 40 or 84. And the infant, the spiritual infant is the one who does not realize what they are up against truly. You know, they think their problem is that they spend a little too much time on their phone. You know, they think their problem is that they drink a little too much. They think their problem is their wife or their problem is their husband or their problem is their boss or their problem is their coworker. They believe their struggle is against flesh and blood. And when you believe your struggle is against flesh and blood. You don't need a savior. You need a five-step plan. You need a, an action plan. You need better boundaries. You need a vacation. But a savior, if your struggle is against flesh and blood, you don't need a savior. But you know better. And it's because you know better that you know what you need. You need the one who chose us in him before the creation of the world. You need the one who adopted us through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. You need the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins by the blood of Christ. You need the one who marked us with his Holy Spirit, a seal guaranteeing our salvation. You need the one whose incomparably great power is available to us who believe, who is seated at the right hand of God, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. If you are mature, you know what you need. And what you need is a savior. And that's the gospel. And Paul ends Ephesians with that word, the gospel. Except for a few goodbyes, he says this, and we'll end with this in prayer. He says this, and pray, it's a command. Pray 
in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, what he's just told us. Be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people and pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Let's pray together. God, we believe that we are under attack. And yet, God, we know that we bear the shield of faith, that the belt of truth is buckled around our waist, that the breastplate of your righteousness you've placed on us. God, we know that the real weapon is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the word that pierces bone and marrow. It, the story of how you and Jesus Christ have overcome the sin that so easily entangles. And you have crushed the powers against us under your feet. God, I pray that that gospel would reverberate through these halls. I pray that it would take root of the hearts of every person in this place. God, I pray selfishly for myself that I would not ever cease to proclaim the wondrous, wondrous mystery of your gospel. I pray that I would declare it fearlessly. And I pray that those in this place would declare that good news to our world fearlessly. So that they might stand. And after they have done everything, stand. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing. If you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, I'd love to receive you in baptism. If you'd like prayer, I can pray for you here. We have shepherds in the back who can pray. Let's sing. The splendor of a king.